Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. How does an economy that is more mindful and less mindless become a reality? Welcome to the Mindful Marketplace. I'm your host, Joel Skeen, and I'm happy to welcome you to the show where we ask experts, entrepreneurs, investors, and industry leaders for their perspectives on how all of us can, on every level, do our part to help create a more mindful marketplace. And today is a very special show for me uh, because I get to have on someone who really has had an incredibly huge and positive impact on my personal life and on my business. Um, he is a what I will call a mindful leader, um, and he not only leads himself and leads others in a mindful way, but he actually really puts a focus on helping others do the same. Um, he is the co-founder of People Profit. He is himself a coach. Um, and he has been my personal coach at times. Um, please, uh, you know, if you're out there, give a little little clap unless you're driving. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, help me welcome, uh, you know, uh, Drew McClure to the show today. He's uh, we're going to dig in a lot on what it means to be a mindful leader and what that actually looks like. You know, and, and I want to mention why this is important to me and why I think this is an important topic. As I've mentioned before, the mindful marketplace isn't so much of a destination that we're trying to get to. But it's more of a direction that we're trying to go. It's more like a compass than a map. It, it's a direction where business serves the needs of human beings more than the lives of human beings serves the needs of business. And a lot of that has to do with investing in each other. Uh, we can do that in a lot of different ways, as we've talked about on the show, like eliminating reliance on debt, on local spending, on local investing, like we talked about with Angela Barbash impact investing like we did with Peter Kroll and aligning our money with our values like we have with pretty much every other guest because at the end of the day our dollar really is more of our vote than our actual vote every time we spend every time we invest we are casting a vote for the kind of future that we want to see but you know I don't think this would actually be an honest conversation about how to move in that direction of the mindful marketplace if we don't address the fact that part of the problems that we face is due to the way that we think about leadership and the type of leaders that that then creates. There are a lot of factors that created this reality and I don't pretend to understand all of them, but the one that comes to mind for me is the simple fact that leadership is often um, presented as a reward rather than as a service. And it then becomes most attractive to people with a decent size ego. Uh, and I'll admit that I am one of them. <laughs> when I first um, kind of sought out, you know, becoming a leader and moving in that direction, I was thinking all about what I could get from it. You know, the money, prestige, accolades, power, applause, all of that was very attractive to me because ultimately I had not yet learned what actually makes me happy. But along the way, a mentor of mine, who we unfortunately lost to cancer uh, far too young, um, he confronted me on this self 
selfishness that he saw in me. And it was a selfishness that I was surprised he noticed because I thought I was really good at hiding it. <laughs> um, he could see that my self-centered attitude was impeding my ability really to connect with others, to build meaningful and trusting relationships with the people on my team, to make the kind of impact I wanted, and paradoxically, from being genuinely fulfilled. And so he encouraged me to both talk with a therapist to work on my relationship with myself. And he also recommended me a book called Leadership and Self-Deception that introduced me to Martin Buber's uh, philosophy of dialogue. Uh, he was a form of existentialism, uh, existentialist philosopher, and his writing centered on the distinction between the I-thou and what he called the I-it relationships. Um, and his concept really reminds me of a quote from Shanti Deva, who's a Tibetan poet, who says, whatever joy there is in the world arises from wishing others happiness. Whatever suffering there is in the world arises from wishing for your own happiness. So recognizing my own selfishness in this process improved my relationships with my business, my team, my family, and my friends, and myself. Uh, I'm forever grateful to my mentor, Jimmy, for seeing the potential in me and for calling me up. I, I do want to hit on really briefly the book's main idea. And it said if you treat others as an it, you know, or as an object that simply exists um, in the context of you getting what you want, you know, either they help either that person exists to help you get what you want, or that person stands in the way of you getting what you want. Um, you kind of dehumanize that person and you end up putting yourself in a box of self-defensiveness that you carry around with you, making connection and impact practically impossible. If instead you treat others like a thou, and this means the people on your team, it means your family members, it means everyone that you interact with. If you treat them as a thou, which just means like the human beings that they actually are, that have their own needs, that have their own desires, that are the star of their own movie, and you essentially follow the golden rule, that box of self-defensiveness that you carry around with yourself disappears, and true trust and connection with others and yourself finally becomes possible. I ultimately believe that in order for you know this mindful marketplace to become a reality, we need better ways to invest in each other. Obviously, we need better ways to support local businesses and local supply chains and better ways to share resources and eliminate waste. But this will take leadership. This will take leaders. And so the question, what type of leaders we become, is very important to me because it sure seems that we could have the best systems in the world. But if the people who hold the power are driven by you know, an immature and egoic desires, those systems will be exploited. Um, and so it's incredibly important for us to talk about what leadership actually looks like for the future, as well as what these systems could look like in the future as well. So with that, I'm going to um, I'm going to introduce um, my good friend, Drew McClure. I already kind of mentioned him earlier. Um, he's an incredible guy. Drew, thanks for, for being on the show here with us today. Really happy to have you. Yeah, man. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, I want to start a little bit with your your background. You kind of have a unique story and a unique journey, and I think it really informed. You know, one of the things I didn't mention earlier, you wrote a book um, that I um, that I loved and absolutely, you know, kind of made a big impact on my life. Where you lay out what a journey actually looks like, um, what a journey of transformation can actually be for an individual. Um, but yeah, I want to hear a little bit about your journey. You know, introduce yourself to the audience, kind of where you come from. And, um, you know, what brought you to the place you are now? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess the cliff notes, you know, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I went to college in South Carolina at Clemson University and then moved back to Georgia afterwards and took a job uh, at a church, actually. And my first uh, career, I guess, uh, was in ministry, in developing others and, you know, teaching and, and communicating and uh, did it with my best friends. It was a dream of ours to do something together, and we were all passionate about making a difference in the world, and that was the vein in which uh, we were doing that. And it was amazing. I thought I'd be doing it uh, forever. It was, you know, when you're young, whatever you're passionate about at the time, you think that's going to be what it is forever, you know? And uh, I had a very unsettling uh, few years when I started to feel something shift inside of me, and my kind of, I guess, satisfaction and fulfillment and those types of things were, were not the same as they were early, and I didn't know what to do with that. And again, it was breaking the idea and the assumptions I had made about what my life would look like, and it made no sense to me that I would not be feeling the same level of uh, calling, if you will, uh, to be here, uh, to be there at that time. And it took about two years, honestly, of uh, ignoring and stuffing and kind of pushing off even the conversation of, should I do something else? Do I want to do something else? Um, and then I would say um, my internal reality um, at some point just screamed. We call that anxiety, uh, <laughs> where anxiety just got so loud that it forced me to pay attention to what is actually going on. I mentioned in my book, it was a poignant moment for me. I had a newborn that had colic and it was a rough few months and um, it all kind of coalesced in this night where she actually went to bed and my wife was like, Hey, why don't you go get a red box, you know, from Kroger and a bottle of wine and like, let's actually have a night together. And I was like, yeah, it's gonna be amazing. And uh, we had had just a normal night forever. And then I remember walking back to the parking lot and getting overwhelmed with anxiety. And then I just kind of broke down. I was so mad that this growing anxiety was now about to ruin this night and I had a pity party, man. I just full on, I remember standing there with a bottle of wine in one hand and a red box in the other, just crying in the parking lot. And I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on with me. And I felt like God, the universe, whatever, kind of spoke to me and said, hey, man, you know, you could have so much, a, a, so, a, such a higher quality of life if you wanted. I was like, what? How? It's like, it's time to go. You got to follow me. But you got to say yes. Like, no more putting this off. No more you know, walking in circles, like, are you ready to make a change? And I was like, desperate. And that's, that's one of the first things I would just share with your audience is typically Dr. Michael Beckwith puts it this way, that pain will push you until promise pulls you. And it's just recognizing that often pain is the initial motivator for any kind of change in our life. And it's, it's unnerving sometimes how comfortable we can get with pain. But if we stuff it long enough, It'll grow, it'll grow, it'll grow until it becomes a force in and of itself. And in that moment, I wish I could say I was just so drawn to the vision of what my life could be that I made changes. Like, no, I was just, I was miserable. I was overwhelmed. I was overweight. I was tired. I was anxious. I felt lost. And at that point, I was willing to go wherever and do whatever. And that's what it, that's what it took uh, because it was a big deal for me to walk away from the thing I had built and to walk away from the comfort zone that I had built, the identity, the the friends, even though I didn't walk away from those relationships, it felt that way when you're the only one saying, guys, I got to go, you know, and when you don't know where you're going. 
And so that began uh, what I ended up writing my book about. Um, you know, just I documented the process of what it looked like to go from here to there, to wake up and chase something that sounds sexy yet is scary. Uh, and there's these predictable patterns that your life kind of goes through as you're making a really big, I call it a personal revolution, right? Not a small change, not a tweak, not a diet. But if you're going through a personal revolution, a true almost change of story, a uh, change of character, you're going to follow what Joseph Campbell talks about as a hero's journey. And so I broke it into the six kind of stages that I saw unfold in my life and the lives of those around me. Well, and I appreciate you being so you know open and honest. And you know, I think part of the reason that you and I connected and that you are such an effective communicator and leader is your ability to be vulnerable. And it sounds like, you know, you mentioned just, we were talking before you have started a, a new podcast called uh, what no one wants to hear. Am I saying that right? Close. And it sounds like what, yeah. no one's ask, what no one's asking for. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope people want to hear it yeah. uh, even if they aren't asking for it. Um, but yeah, sh share with me a little bit about why you decided to do that and why you feel like kind of opening up with that vulnerability is important for you in that journey. Yeah. So it had always been the strength of my life, really. Like when I look back at the the biggest blessings and growth that happened in my life, it came through truly honest, vulnerable connection with other people, with myself, with the universe, and with friends. That that openness is where people are meant to thrive. You know, I think that there's a lot of difference, like in human beings. There's plenty of differences between us all, but what we all have in common is the not just the desire, but the need to be seen, known, and loved for who we are, not for who we should be. And when we get any of those missing, when we have a carefully constructed self and we have distance between us and others, even emotional distance, we really just implode. Like we're just, we're communal creatures and we're not mm -hmm. meant to exist on an island. And so I unknowingly had started to isolate myself again. And, and I think just the pressure, like, again, you fast forward from me changing careers and I end up starting a podcast and then I end up writing a book and then I end up getting clients uh, that wanted me to coach them. And then that turned into executive coaching and I'm building a business with my best friend, Jordan Mitchell and all of your time. Anybody's ever had a startup, like all of your time and energy is just getting that thing off the ground, figuring out the answers, the pivots, the pricing, the, the growth that you have to go through. And so the last five years has just been head down, head down doing everything I can. Cause I have three kids. I have a wife, I have a mortgage. Like it's not just, can I get this business to work, but can it provide for my family? And so in the process of doing so, I didn't realize I was slowly getting less vulnerable um, and more just self like isolated, if you will. Mm. And the pandemic highlighted a lot of that, you know, uh, anxiety started to grow again and the pressure of the business and all that, you know, all the questions and all the life stressors. And, um, man, I had just about two really rough months about a year. Yeah. Just about a year and some change ago where some anxiety and kind of panic hit. And for whatever reason, it just didn't abate for like almost two months. And I got just desperate like when you're in that kind of survival state mentally for that long, you get scared. Like, is this ever, am I ever going to get out of this? Like, can I keep operating like this? And almost just as a last resort, I had this thought is like 11 o'clock at night. Like, why am I suffering alone? You know, I thought about, mm. you know, uh, Henry Thoreau says 
Uh, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I was like, I'm, I'm going through all this alone right now. Like, what am I doing? I have these lifelong friendships that I, it, I've invested in more than most people probably invested in friendships like this. Why am I suffering silently? And so I pulled out my phone and I texted one of my best friends, Matt Reynolds, who's on the podcast with me that we started. And I just sent a text telling him what I was going through. And man, is it okay if I ever call you sometime when I'm struggling? And um, it felt weird. It felt like I was sending a new friendship text, you know, like the way I was dancing around things. But I hadn't been vulnerable like that, that to that degree in a long time. Uh, and he had the perfect response. Uh, he said, F yeah, like I would be honored. Call me anytime. Do you need to talk right now? And just his response to me uh, made me cry. And it started making all of the anxiety start to abate. It was the weirdest experience. And so what I found out was he was also going through his own struggles silently. And my other friend, Brian, was going through his struggles silently. And we all were like, what are we doing? Like there's this resource called friendship that we have. And we're not taking advantage of it. And so we got on Marco Polo because each of us has our own business and we each have families and it's hard to find a coordinated time. You can always talk it, but we found that through Marco Polo, we could just leave a, you know, a video message to each other as we were going about our day and check them when convenient. And we just said, Hey, let's go on a ride together. Like let's not ride through life alone. Let's, let's get back to going on a ride together. Be as honest as possible. Tell us what's really going on. Give each other feedback uh, and so it was that it really was a, a lifeline for each of us. And um, yeah, man. So for the last year, we've been reinvesting in that vulnerability and it's been changing my life just like it always has, you know? Um, so that, that was kind of what we did. And the, the, why we started the podcast is, and maybe there's some other people suffering silently right now and uh, could use us as an example of how to be vulnerable and, uh, maybe reach out to their friends and, and get, you know, one of the things we say often is ask real questions and give real answers. They're like, man, is, does that make sense? Like, it's like, I don't yeah. know how to be vulnerable. It's like, well, ask real questions. Don't ask the bull questions. Don't ask. Yeah. Uh, how was your weekend? If you don't care about how the weekend was like, ask them, how are they really doing? And then if someone asks you a real question, give a real answer. And if you just start there, you'll be surprised at kind of the intimacy that can grow through that vulnerability. Yeah, I just as you were talking, I I couldn't help but think it's it's amazing what we put ourselves through to preserve an image that we have in our mind of who we are, who more usually who we're actually supposed to be. Correct. Um, I I felt the exact same way, you know, kind of suffering silently. Um, you know, I think a lot of us did during that pandemic time, but I had just um, I had after you know a year where I had almost died, I had multiple friends suffering from life-threatening cancer in their 30s. I had two pets die. I went through a divorce and I moved across the country mm. uh, multiple times. And as soon as I get to where I think I'm going to land long-term and I don't know anybody, this is, I moved out to Salt Lake City um, to be out in the desert and the mountains and, you know, <laughs> kind of build a new, you know, kind of re reinvigorate my life and my business and get a fresh start. The pandemic hit and I was living in a downtown apartment with a dog and no friends and no one to talk to and didn't know anybody and couldn't go make any friends because everything mm -hmm. was shut down and couldn't yeah. go travel because the airport was pretty much shut down. And um, I felt the same thing. Like I'm supposed, like it was, all my thoughts were so consumed with what I felt like I was supposed to be and how strong I felt like I was supposed to be and what leadership meant and how I'm supposed to be setting this kind of example um, that, you know, it's like when you're hard on yourself, I think in some ways you rob yourself of your own humanity. 
and you take away the fact that, you know, you go through stuff. Um, and I did the same thing, actually reached out to some friends that I hadn't talked to in a long time. And we made a Marco Polo group <laughs> and no way. we still, yeah, yeah. We still, we still to this day, um, you know, to still, still have just, it's just three of us. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've never really even talked about any of this kind of stuff on the show. And so you're, you know, definitely inspiring me to share more of my story and my struggles in this whole venture of, you know, that we call entrepreneurship, that we call mindful leadership or, you know, whatever we're calling it. Um, it's not like it's something that is, uh, is done by perfect people in perfect scenarios and things just come easily. Um, and I think once we acknowledge that, like, you know, I'm going through stuff, you're going through stuff, we all go through stuff and we focus on that common ground that we have shared together. It really allows for the kind of connection that we're seeking, you know? And I think sometimes we, we think that we, people will be friends with us if we are, or will like us on business or whatever it is, if we project a certain image. Um, but it sounds like you're saying just the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just two things on that. Like one, uh, perfect people don't exist, but we like to pretend they do. And so whether mm -hmm. it's, we pretend because we feel the pressure to be perfect or we fool ourselves into believing the image everyone else has crafted and they have no problems and they know all the answers and they're just up and to the right. Perfect people don't exist. We just pretend they do. And the the thing that sucks about that is it robs you of the joy of humanity like you're talking about. It robs you from true connection. It robs you from being able to give your your strengths as a gift and also be able to offer your weaknesses as a point of compassion, you know, a learning a, a place where you're learning and growing. And I've just found I've been on stages since I was like 20 years old and been seen as a leader since I was 20. And the one of the hardest things to fight is the self-imposed pressure that what a leader is, is someone who has it all together. And what I found is the exact opposite, that when I, I am honest, when I lead with vulnerability, and I own it, I don't use it as an excuse, it's actually more influential and impactful for people, that they actually get more when you lead from vulnerability because they can see themselves in you. There's not this artificial gap between me as a regular human and that person who has it all together. And so I've just tried to be, whether it's on this show or my podcast or my actual coaching or keynotes, I try to, uh, yes, give inspiration, give insight, but also do it from a place of, of authenticity and vulnerability. Yeah, man, I love it. It's, it's like what um, I think Brene Brown kind of talks about this, where if you don't allow yourself to actually be seen, if you're always holding up the mask, if you're always holding up the artifice, the image, then no one can actually really like or love you or connect with you because they can't actually see you, you know? Yep. And so that's huge. Um, we are going to continue this conversation in a two-part episode. We're going to get into people profits. We're going to get into leadership lessons. We're going to get into what it looks like to, to actually become and create mindful leadership in organizations. Um, make sure to listen to this episode. And we've got tons of other great guests on the bizradio.us network. Go to www.bizradio.us. Um, click on the episodes. Click on the show links. You can also connect with me directly and my debt elimination services, uh, helping families get out of debt in half the time or less without spending any extra money on it um, by going to mindfulmarketplaceshow.com. Drew, looking forward to uh, doing part two here with you. And uh, for all of you out there, take care of yourselves and take care of somebody else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.